You know, there is a lot going on in our world today, and we need perspective. Um, but we don't need perspective from, you know, CNN or Fox, uh, perspective from Trump or Biden. We need God's perspective because we are followers of Jesus, right? Um, and, and it's just hard to navigate right now. Um, but we come here, the reason we're here is to look into God's Word and to just see what He says about what's going on. You know, see what He says about how He wants us as Christians to act. Uh, last week we left off at kind of the table over there and just made a reference to the fact that it represents um, a lot of tables that we could pull ourselves up under. You know, we talked about that when the Bible does not want us to idolize anything other than Jesus Christ and God. Um, he wants us to make him above him and before all things. And so there's a lot of things that this table could represent in our lives, but uh, uh, we just have to make sure that we're not pulling up to that table, you know, of lust or idolatry or, you know, anything else that we would put before God. This is the table that we are called to be about. Uh, right here. Um, you know, we started off, and I just want to give a holler to Misty and the kids uh, uh, for coming up and, and doing our background, finishing it out. But uh, these are the icons that uh, are, are just kind of remind us of, of our journey through this year, because our journey this year for Westside is recover the mission. Whose mission? God's mission. Um, and so these icons will represent things as we go along, and it'll help us. But this is recovery. That's where we are right now. We're in this recovery mode. But I just want to re- remind you of where we're going, and this is reap mode all the way down here. This is the harvest, and that's where we want to be. And that's where we will go. God will take us there, uh, but he's going to take us there in steps because we just have to get refocused. We ha- there has to be a recovery that takes place in our churches, in this church. Uh, you know, there's some things that we have to just talk about and just acknowledge. Uh, as we were talking about, you know, going into this, they're just realizing that there was a storm that was brewing, you know, in 99 and a storm that came in 2020 uh, in our world in a lot of different ways. But... Uh, it really was a storm for the church. Uh, the, storm, the storm has come, and it has just left a lot of destruction and debris. And the church, the, the church of Jesus Christ, has got to just realize that it's time to pick up the debris. And a lot of you know when storms come, a lot of that debris has a place, and it's called the trash. Uh, it's called the heaping pile, you know, the burn pile or whatever you want to call it. But there's just a lot of stuff that we just have to realize that we have to, we just have, that's where it goes. We, the attitude or behavior or whatever it is that should not have been, uh, it just goes there. Now, in any storm, just like we've also talked about, because I've went out to, and some of you went out there with me to Greensburg when they had their tornado, and some of you have gone with me over to Joplin when they had their tornado, and what you realize is that when you're helping people pick up debris, most of it is trash, but a lot, there are some things, there's like gems, right? There are things there that you can't replace, and things like that are just heirlooms. Where did that ring go? You know, I just want to find that ring. That's all they're worried about. Or those pictures. Where are those pictures? Because they, they can't be replaced. You know, they don't have those on flash drives back then. And, um, and so there's things that are important, and you realize. And I think the church is, just has to realize that there's things that God wants us to recover. Things that he wants us, through recovery, there's debris that he wants us to throw away. But there's also things that he wants us to cling to and, and realize that they're, how important they are to us as followers of Jesus Christ. And so we are in the midst of this journey. I owe everything to God. I mean, I I literally owe him everything. He has done everything for me. And I'm not saying that because I'm in church. I'm not saying that because I'm a preacher and preachers are supposed to say that kind of stuff. I'm saying it just because he deserves me to say that. He, He has given me everything. If I were to make a list and really just get super serious about um. Uh, who has done the most for me, Mike Elrod, it would be God for sure. He has given me everything. He has given me hope. Let me tell you, if it wasn't for God, I would be like that guy out on a raft in the middle of an ocean, just being 
tossed to and fro, you know, from the wind and the waves. And I just, I wouldn't know where I, how would I know where to go? And how would I even get there if I knew where to go? You know, I would just be, I'd just be lost. And that's the way it is. If, if it wasn't for Jesus Christ, if it wasn't for God in my life, I would be like that person. You know, just tossed by the worldly desires and, and the waves of pressure and pleasures and things like that. And I would just be drifting along, just wondering. And, and every day it would just be a little bit harder on me and take me a little further down the road of death, right? If it wasn't, I owe God everything. I owe him everything. You know, when you owe somebody so much, there's always going to be an opportunity in your life to show them how much you appreciate them. Always. And I just believe that 2021 is the opportunity for the church to show God how much they truly appreciate them, how much they truly owe him. You know, for, for them to just really look at how valuable God is and, and to let the world and let people around them know that. I passed out a paper there in front of you. We're going to have a test. You're going to take a test. I get to finally be the instructor given the test, uh, which doesn't happen very often. But uh, So I'm, the test is not my test. This is a test from the Holy Spirit to you. So the Holy Spirit is actually the one giving the test. You're the one taking the test. Just three simple answers. One question, right? And all it says there is three things that the Holy Spirit is encouraging you to give up for the sake of the kingdom of God. Remember, because the whole thing is, is you're going to give, you're going to be given opportunities. I, I bet you already have noticed some opportunities that 2021 has presented to you to show you, show God how much you appreciate, love him, owe him. What would you give up? Three things that the Holy Spirit is already, he's already urging you. I just have to believe that he's working in your life, y'all, like he is working in mine. And he's urged me several things already. A few things I gave up this week, actually. But what is he urging you? See, today you get to do the message, right? I'm glad we got plenty of mics around here, but you get to give the message. I want, I want to, and it has to start with you answering those questions. So write down your three things. And some of you are like, uh, I'm starting to perspire, Mike. You're making me nervous. Just preach. Just preach. I, don't, I, just, want, I just want to come and hear you preach. I don't want to come and take a test. You know, some of you and some of you online are like, didn't go even get your pencil and paper, did you? Because um, you, you just have like, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to take that test. You know, I, <laughs> I hated tests. Literally hated them in school. And one of the reasons I hate them is because I was terrible at them. You know, I was, I was never good at test taking. You know, the biggest reason I wasn't good at test-taking, I'm sure there was other reasons, but the biggest reason I wasn't good at test-taking is because I didn't want to study. You know, why do, why do they give tests? We have so many teachers in this building, in our fellowship. Why, why do you teachers give tests? Doesn't it, like, encourage them to study, encourage them to pay attention, encourage them to focus a little bit, like... Like if they didn't get it the first time, maybe when they go home and study for the test, it'll start kind of making sense to them. They'll start kind of getting drifted. Even if they flunk, at least it lets them know that, man, you're not, being, you're not paying attention. Or it lets you know that as a teacher, maybe I need to instruct them some more. Either way, don't you think that, do you think that God tests us? I mean, I told you that this test is from the Holy Spirit. I believe it, really, that it is. But could it actually be that God tests us? The scripture that we're going to look at today is 1 Peter chapter 4. If you want to turn there, 1 Peter chapter 4.
And I believe very much that God tests his children, his people. And I believe it's just for the same purposes as teachers test their students, you know, for the most part. It's to help them focus, to help them continue to grow and mature. Uh, and I think that's the way God does too. But let's look at this. First Peter chapter 4, starting with verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery, or, the fiery trial or ordeal when it comes upon you to what? Test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in so far as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome of those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Well, one thing I know about storms in life, they, uh, they reveal what you're made of, don't they? Storms are definitely a test of God. It says, don't, don't be, brothers, are beloved, don't be surprised at the fiery trial that you're going through. Like something strange is happening to you. Don't you know, I mean, his whole point in there is, don't you know that God uses those fiery ordeals, those trials, those storms? They did not come from God necessarily, Right? Persecution can come from other people, but God is going to use it to test you. He's going to see it as an opportunity, as an instructor, to see where you are. Help you see where you are. To reveal that so that you can make some changes, that you can mature and you can, you can grow and, and just continue to increase. You know, the, the verse that I want us to focus in on is 17, because today we are going to talk about recovery, but we're going to talk about recovering the integrity of the household of God. Isn't that important, church? Is to to recover the integrity of God's household, to like bring it back to the house that God wants it to be and that he intends it to be. And so this is what he says in verse 17. What does he say? He says, For it is time for judgment to begin at what? The household of God. That's where judgment begins. Now, eventually, and he talks about this, eventually all of mankind is going to be judged, right? And they're not going to fare well if they are not in Christ. Because one day, when all of this world is gone, God is going to judge every single person. But... Until that day when we leave this earth and everyone is judged, judgment begins here at the church. This is important to God that we are judged first, that we are judged now, in a sense, um, about, you know, that, and there's a reason for that, and we're going to get to that, but church... (laughs) We've got to learn to fight well. You know, we, we can't be fighting like pagans and think that that pleases God. We can't be fighting like worldly people, how people in the world fight. We can't do that because that's not how God taught us to fight. Don't you want to be, at the end of your life, be able to say like this, the same words that, that Paul says here in 2 Timothy chapter 4, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. 
Henceforth there is laid laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. Don't you want those to be your words? That you fought well? Not that you fought like evil people, you know, pagan people, non-Christian people, however, whatever word you want, adjective you want to use. But don't you want to be known as somebody who fought the way that Jesus Christ taught you to fight? We have not been doing so well in 2020 anyway. I think in 2021 is going to be our day. I mean, our year. It's going to be our opportunity. Remember, any time that you owe somebody something so much, there's going to be an opportunity eventually that will come up to show, give, you, give you the opportunity to show them how much you owe them, how much you love them, how much you need them. And I think 2020 is going to be our year. But it has to start. It starts with the church. And, and I have no doubt that, that there's people that, you know, that would say, you know, oh, Mike, what do you expect us to do? You want us just to sit on our, our thumbs, just twirl our thumbs? You know, I mean, you just don't want us to do anything. Is that what you're trying to say? No. It's not what I'm trying to say at all. I'm just trying to say that we, we got to learn to fight well. I'm not saying don't fight, Right? We just got to learn as a church to, to be able to fight the way that God has given us orders to fight. He has very much laid out fighting orders within his word. He's not saying don't fight. He just says you got to fight within these parameters. And you can't step out of these parameters. You got to fight with, with, with this way or you will end up making us look bad. Meaning look, make the church look bad, but mostly meaning make the your, your Father in heaven, Jesus, looked bad. And so it's really important. You know, I, I watched this video early on in the week, and I've shared it with a few people. I shared it, physically shared it with some friends, one person from Illinois, one person from Missouri. But I've told some people, you know, uh, around this area about it. I, I found it on Reddit, and um, it was just interesting to me because it was just... Somebody that put all together all of like, I don't know all, but a, a, a several um, snippets from people's phones that were in the Capitol, you know, the, the riot thing that went on. And uh, I just found it interesting. It was kind of lengthy, but uh, it was, they were, in, most of it was taken within the uh, chambers there, the, the uh, um, um, well, anyway, that, that. The big room? I don't know. Can't think of the name of it. Okay, but anyway, um, so it was taken in there, and what was interesting to me is that just how it captured a whole different mood, obviously, than the media is going to uh, capture for you. It had all the same little snippets that they took, but they took these little snippets out, and then they tried to make you think that it was, you know, people that were going to assassinate and kill, and that was their agenda and all this, but then they used these things. Well, if you watched it all through, you wouldn't have gotten that at all. I mean, if you saw the whole thing, what you would have gotten is that these people were super upset, right? And they were out to try to prove how upset that they were. But they were in there with, with in the chambers with the police officer, just one guy, and he didn't seem to be scared for his life, and they weren't threatening him. And he was talking to him like, you know, guys, hey, hey, this is like, this is sacred place right here right? And he was just trying to encourage them to move on, you know. You guys, let's just don't hang out here and stuff like that. And they were just like taking pictures of stuff and, you know, and things like this. But in the midst of this, all the way walking through everything, you just heard the F-bomb being dropped everywhere. You heard a lot of other really bad words. You heard a lot of patriotism, you know, being screamed and hollered. And you heard Jesus's name being tossed around everywhere, too. Uh, in the midst of this, you know, and, and some of them were talking each other down. Like they were up there by, you know, the chair that Pence sent in, and, and they were saying, hey, man, that's Pence's chair. Just, you know, leave alone, and, and you know, let's be respectful. You know, they're, they're saying this to themselves, right? Um, but, and finally, the police officers, like, said, hey, we got to go. And so they were all kind of agreeing to that somewhat. Um, and, and then somebody has this bright idea. He says, we need to pray. We need to pray. And so, like, all of a sudden, they came up on the stage there around the chair, 
And, and there, the guy with the horns, you know, the, the crazy guy that uh, was dressed up, you know, in costume and stuff, he was in the midst of that, and somebody offered up a prayer in Jesus' name, and then he took off his horns and, and ball-headed guy, um, and he began to pray, and he just had kind of a lengthy little prayer. It was, and it was just, you know, God, thank you for letting us be a beacon of light, and, and just, I, I really kind of think that that prayer could almost been offered in most churches throughout the nation. It just felt like he was saying it sincerely. And, and uh, obviously he was talking, you know, to God and Jesus, and he ends his prayer in Jesus' name. And I was just curious about what other people, that's the reason I sent it to some, some people that uh, I wanted to see it, just curious what they thought about it. But... Um, when I watched it, I was sick to my stomach. I wasn't encouraged by it. I just like, God, how is it that we got to a place that we think that this kind of behavior is within your boundaries? Like this is how you want your church to behave, your people who are claiming to be followers of you. This is how you want them to behave. How, how did we get to this place? You know, the church has cried fake news more than any group that I know. But I'm just going to tell you, church, that was, I just witnessed the biggest fake news for the good news of Jesus Christ when I watched that video right there. It's, Fake news of the good news. You know, Jesus has called us to be followers of him. He has called us to represent him. He has called us to behave in a way that makes him look good. He has called us to be about his agenda, about spreading his word. We are not called to be fake Christians. Pretending to follow when we refuse to follow. And it's just so important that we have this conversation, right? And we just keep talking about this a little bit because, you know, that's what tests do. Tests reveal weakness. Does God give tests? I think 2020 was a God-given test. Now, I'm not saying God gave the pandemic. Don't believe it that he did. I'm not saying God created this election the way that he created it. not believing that. What I'm believing is that God used 2020 and all the things in 2020. And there's so many other things that could be on the list. Health issues maybe you're dealing with. Family issues maybe you're dealing with. Relationship issues. I mean, there's a whole bunch of things that could be on the list. But I'm just saying you were tested. And don't be surprised if the fiery, fiery ordeals or the fiery trials that come up on you like it's something strange happening to you. God is testing you. But it's for our benefit. That's what tests are for. It's to help us understand our immaturities so that we can mature. Help us understand where we lack so that we can move forward. First Peter 4, 12, what does it say? Don't be surprised. That it comes upon you to test you. Verse 13 it says, But rejoice in, in so much, rejoice in so much that you share Christ's suffering. That you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. See, we should saw it as an opportunity. They start insulting us. We should saw it as just, man, this is this is an opportunity, opportunity for me to suffer for Christ. That you may rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory of God rests upon you. And here I want to I highlight this for just a second here. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a meddler. Now, I know that this list isn't, like, complete, but it's long enough to help us understand what would go in the list, right? Don't suffer like a, a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or 
uh, a meddler. Church, how, do we, how is it that we could be categorized as someone who suffers as a murderer? If somebody does something that upsets you and you retaliate in kind, only you retaliate further, right? Because if somebody murders you, you're not going to murder them back, right? No, that doesn't happen. But if somebody hurts you and you go to hurt them back, but you take it even further, you could become a murderer, right? And I think that that's how you end up suffering as a murderer. If somebody hurts you, I'm going to get even, but I'm going to get even, even more so. You retaliate to another level. I can't help but think that you saw the riots, right, that all of us were upset about, hitting the monuments and things, and we were just, oh, my goodness, that was just so frustrating. And what do we do? Well, let's get them back, but let's go a little further. <laughs> Is that what we did? I mean, that would be silly. That's what some people did. But we just have to be careful that we're not even retaliating in that kind of way. In that kind of way. How is it that, how does it that thieves, how do you suffer as a thief? It's when somebody attacks you and then you go take something of theirs that doesn't belong to you. You know, the, the, the whole thing I'm trying to get across here is just that you don't have permission to retaliate in that way. You don't. God has not given you permission. God is saying things like this. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. That's what he says. Not, vengeance is mine, let's go let them have it. He doesn't include you in that. It's not, it's not your job. And, and I want us to go to Romans chapter 12 quickly because I think that this will help us understand a little bit more our parameters that God has laid out for us. And also emphasize again just his part and not our part that he plays. But Romans chapter 12, and if I, if I had time we would read further. So maybe you go back further than, than 12 and, and read a little more of that. But, but this is what it says. Romans 12 verse 17, it says, Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Now, just let that sink in just for a moment. What does that mean, to give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all? That means on both sides, right? What's, what's honorable for everyone? If possible, as far as it depends on you, live peacefully with all. That's, that's what we get to do. As it depends on you, you take responsibility of you for a moment here. And your job as a follower of Jesus Christ, as a representative of Jesus Christ, is to live peacefully with all people. Verse 19, he says, Beloved, never avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will pay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not overcome evil, but overcome evil with good. And that's what we need to do. See, there's evil in the world, and we all know it. And this evil is against us. We all know that. But we don't overcome evil by giving evil. We overcome evil by doing good. Do not let your suffer do not <laughs> but let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a meddler. Don't act morally wrong in anything that you do. Don't take matters into your own hands. God says don't do that. I, I will take care of of repaying. So what is your job? Verse 16, it says, 
Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. Because that's our job, is to glorify God. Isn't it? It's, it's to bring glory to God. It's to not do anything shameful that he would be ashamed that we have done. He wants us to do it honorably, which means we live peacefully with all. That we, we you know, just as he was pointing out here, that's our boundaries. If anyone brings suffering, then we can only behave within a certain parameter of how we're going to respond to that. Now, oftentimes our initial response to when people give evil to us or do us harm or say bad things to us or any such thing, our initial response is what? Well, usually it's shock, like, I can't believe you just did that. But then it's usually followed up with anger or retaliation or something, right? And, and I just want you to know that that's not, not only is that not how we are supposed to respond, but, but if we started viewing the world as a classroom and God is the instructor and that God is going to test us, he's going to have this, when this evil comes up against us, he's going to use that as an opportunity to deepen us to be more like Jesus, to lead us a little further in our maturity. If we started seeing it like this, then we would be be more apt to respond the way we ought to respond. Oh, God's testing me. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna do well on this test because I know how I am to act. I am to act not evil with evil, but I'm to act evil with good. I'm supposed to treat them well. And by doing that, I actually accomplished something. I just heaped a whole bunch of coals on their head. They're just like, I can't believe, why would you treat me like this? And they start looking at Jesus and realize that they do that because of God, because of Jesus. Not because of the evil I've done on them. And it looks, makes God look good. It makes them really actually want to seek and look into this God that would... His followers would behave like this. So Peter kind of tells us in this passage, he just kind of reminds us as we face trials, you know, just the opportunities that are here within these trials. And there's just three things I want to just point out real quick. There's three opportunities that... that 2020, we should see that 2020 has brought to the surface. We should have applied them. We didn't. But now we're in God's Word looking, aren't we? Looking for instruction. We're going to be more ready for the next time. Because we weren't very studious, obviously. Maybe we knew, but we didn't know. But we're going to be better at this next time. And here's three opportunities we have when trials come our way. When the enemy comes to get us, when the enemy comes to poke us, this is what we're going to do. We're going to see it as an opportunity to share in his sufferings. That's what it says, isn't it? It says rejoice in so far as you share Christ's sufferings. Rejoice. I want you to see When the enemy is against you, see it as an opportunity to suffer like Christ suffered. Is that what Jesus did? When they came against him, did he pull out the swords? No, he did not retaliate, is what the Bible tells us. He could have. He could have just zapped them. You're dead. You're dead. (laughs) Turn them into something. I don't know. He didn't do it. And yet, not only did he not do it, he instructed us not to as well. And so we have to see it as an opportunity for us to suffer. You know, suffering for someone that we deem worthy ends up becoming a joy, doesn't it? You know, my kids, if they ask me, they say, Dad, I need your help. I need you. Can you come and do this? I need you. I will try to drop everything to go do that. 
If they, if they need me to fix something and it's, an, it's a serious deal, I will drop everything and go help them try to fix that if I have the ability to fix that. I would do it. And, um, the room here is full of dads. I know that you guys would do the same. Good dads do that. Good dads find joy in the fact that their children need them and that there's something they can do that they're going to do it. You know, they're just going to participate. And so I will suffer for my kids. Why? Because I, I find them worthy of my suffering. So therefore, it's a joy. I'll suffer for my parents. My mom and dad, they have done so much for me, I'll never be able to repay them. And the older I get, the more I know that they've done for me, which is really encouraging when you're a dad, too, that maybe they'll get old enough that they actually appreciate, you know what I mean? Um, but I definitely am there. And I would, I would do anything for my parents if they need me. And if I can do it, I would be there. And it, I'd find it a joy to suffer for them. I would suffer for Jesus Christ. I would find it a joy to suffer for him. And I have opportunities to do that. We had opportunities, but those are past. But 2021, it is present, right? It is a new day and a new opportunity with new understanding from God's word, maybe. But now I find it a joy to suffer for him. Here's another thing. So it's an opportunity to share in his sufferings. It's also an opportunity to make God look good to sinners. And that's what God is wanting us. That's like our task. You know, God has his task, which is to save sinners and and to uh, um, judge everyone, including people who are in Christ and people that are in Christ. But we have a job too, and our job is just to make him look good. You can't make him look good doing things on your own terms and your own way. He has told you how to behave in a way to make him look good. And, and, and it's tough because it means that I have to put aside my desires, my intentions, what I want and how I want it done. And, but we have an opportunity. And so when suffering comes, just know that. You know, when somebody does you bad, how do they want you to react? I want you to think about this for a minute. You can probably think about this in your marriage, right? If, if your wife or your husband does something unkind to you, they might not tell you, but how would they want you to act? Would they want you to act all loving and just, uh, you know, good and gracious? No, I can tell you how they want you to act. If they do mean, they want you to act mean back. That makes it them justified that they did mean for you in the first place, right? And that's not how we are to respond. We make God look good by when they do evil to us that we turn, return it in kind and good. And that makes God look good. Opportunity is also an opportunity to to have God pleased with you. Do you want God pleased with you? Yeah, me too. And that's what the scripture says here. It says, if you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory in God rests upon you. That's what I want. I want the spirit of God to be rest upon me. And and he will if we respond the way that we are are instructed to respond. So this, this week, um, Lori was reading to me um, from Facebook, and I, so I don't know, I don't have anything to quote, I don't know, but in jest, she was just reading from a preacher that was, um, they've been very active in, um, uh, against abortion, and so they, they go and they try to do it in a kind way when they, when they go and they pick it or they talk to people that come into, you know, um, one of those places um, but in the midst of that, you know, that they've been participating in this for some time, he made a post something about that abortion is like an abomination or something. And like I said, I'm not quoting, but it was just something of that sort. And there was somebody that responded to that, and they just kind of, in an attacking way, just said, who are you to judge? Right? And his response back was, you need to go read Romans. 
I, I don't know. I want to have a conversation about that just for a moment here, though, because is it the church's job to judge outside the church? Yeah, the Bible doesn't give us permission there. You see, the boundaries are so important, aren't they, that God gives us. He doesn't give us permission to judge outside of church. In fact, we already went to one of those passages, but there's a bunch of them like it. That he says, vengeance is mine, I will repay. In other words, you stay away from doing any judgment upon the people outside of the household of God. Okay? Uh, that's his territory. But what is Romans talking about then? What is, what is it that we're supposed to come away with judging? Well, the Bible, and John talks about this too, as well as 1 Corinthians, we're going to look at here in just a moment. But the Bible has given us instructions on how Christians, followers of Jesus Christ, are to behave. Therefore, we are able to take the Word of God and to instruct people on whether they did well or not. It's like our manual to judge the church, right? And that's why it says in the scripture we have today, let judgment begin where? With the household of God. Um, because there is, there is permission for that. Just like last week we were in 1 Corinthians, right? 10, talking about don't be like the, uh, the people the Israelites that came out of Egypt, and God was not pleased with them, and they end up dying in the desert because of their disobedience, right? Don't be like them, he says. But First Corinthians, and that's what he's trying to help the church. Paul's trying to help the church not to be like them by giving them instruction. But let me tell you something. In First Corinthians chapter 5, we talked about this a little bit last week, but he says your boasting is not good. He's talking about here in First Corinthians 5 that there was somebody who was, had this sexual sin in the church. Everybody knew about it, and everybody was just overlooking it. Not only overlooking it, they were like boasting that they had somebody in their congregation, that they were being just so loving and gracious and, oh, you know, we just love them in Jesus kind of thing. And Paul is just like, man, you're making God look really bad. Because you're telling people out there in the world that they shouldn't behave that way. <laughs> and that it's like God, God says, don't behave this way. But then you are behaving this way. Um, and so he tells them to cast the guy out of the church. If he's going to behave this way, then give him to the, the, the uh, just help him understand that he is not behaving like a Christian. And therefore he's not welcome here. There's judgment, right, within the church. And he also says that also uh, helps the church not look bad. But so we're going to, that's what's going on, and this is what's leading up to this right here, because this is in that passage of Scripture. And it says in verse 6, it says, your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven, leaven leavens the whole lump? In other words, you behave like that, and you let that happen, you continue to let that happen. It's going to work its way all the way through. For you know it, everybody will think that this kind of behavior is okay. And boy, let me tell you, there's a lot of leaven that has been leavened throughout the whole church and, and in a global way. I don't know, United States way anyway. Sometimes you go to Haiti and people like that, and they're just like, I can't believe how you guys behave. Um, but yeah, we, we tend to think that maybe it's okay to have sex outside of marriage, live together before you're married and things like this, and we just kind of ignore it and, and that. But don't we know that eventually we'll end up thinking that it's okay and it'll just work its way all the way through? Anyway, he says here, he says, cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. We're unleavened. Meaning that we're supposed to be pure. We're supposed to be without and he says, uh, let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, but with leaven, uh, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote to you in a letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Why would Paul not want us to associate with sexually immoral people? Anyway, let's just bring some clarity to this because he's not put everybody in this lump, 
right? He says, not at all meaning the sexual immoral of this world or the greedy of their swindlers or adulterers, since then you would need to get out of the world if you didn't associate with them. In other words, he's just talking about people in the church, isn't he? If somebody is in your church and behaving this way, quit associating with them. Because they, they need to understand for their sake that Christians don't behave this way and for the sake of Jesus Christ so he looks good. And so he's wanting us to draw some lines here. And he says, but now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed. Now here's what I, the reason I want to bring it here too is that the list is not just sexual sin. The list is any behavior that is not permissible by God to be in the Christian's life. But, do not, I'm do, but I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name brother who is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or idolatry, idolater, rivaler, drunkard, swindler, not to even eat with such a one. For what I have to do with judging others, is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. Let me tell you something. All I'm trying to help us understand is we need to start separating ourselves from some behavior that has happened in our world. I am not going to associate myself with people who storm anything with anger and, and, and uh, malice and, and behave unchristlike and yet say a prayer in Jesus' name and me think that I, they are, those are my brothers? No. They're not making Jesus look good at all, their behavior. And it's time for me to disassociate myself a little bit, to pull back a little bit from that kind of behavior. Verse 17, for it is time for judgment to begin in the household of God. Now, I know that we are all frustrated with what has happened in our country and things around us. And I'm not ever indicated by any means that we shouldn't do something. But whatever that something is, it has to be within God's parameters to make sure he looks good, to make sure we hold our integrity as a church. Next week, we're going to talk about just that because, see, right now we're trying to clean up some debris and trying to figure out what needs to go. But in the midst of looking at this debris, I have found some gems along the way. You know, and, and that's one of the reasons that the test question from the Holy Spirit is of the way that it was, I suppose, is because that was my test question. Mike, what is it that you're going to do? I do think that there are things that we can do within his parameters, and I do think that they could be effective because of how mighty God is. But it's not going to be like one person is going to make a difference. It's going to be his church Yielded under Jesus Christ and doing it the way Jesus would want us to do it is going to make a difference. And next week I'm going to share with you just that aspect of it, the things that we can do. And the way that we can respond from the world. And I'm not talking about political parties here, so please don't get me wrong on this. I'm just talking about the world and the world against the believers of Jesus Christ. And what we can do in response to that. And we'll talk about that next week. Let me pray and then we're going to go into communion. Father God, we uh, thank you so much for just the opportunity to have these conversations. And thank you, Lord, that, in the, that you have been the one who wrote our material for us to have these conversations. That it is you that uh, has instructed us. So grateful, Father, that you have not left us without instruction. And I know, Father, that uh, you are mighty and that you love your church. And we, your people, love you. And we owe you everything. 
Help us, Lord God, to just be willing to respond the way that you want us to respond. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, those, uh, those, that video that I was telling you about and those who stormed the, the Capitol, they did that because they were just frustrated, upset. They're not bad people. Not the way that the media would want you to believe. I, I, I know there were some. I mean, I, I do believe that there were some that had really evil intentions but I'm just talking about the mass majority of them, and I know that you guys know this, that they weren't bad people, but they were, they were willing to make a sacrifice for what they believed. They, they were. They were willing to make, and probably a bigger sacrifice than they really thought. I mean, some of these people are going to be against charges, and I guarantee it won't be just like you know, trespassing or vandalism. It's going to be more like, uh, try, I mean, some of them are going to try to push for um, you know, tyranny and um, terrorists and stuff, who knows. But, but I just wanted to point out that these are people that were good people. They were sacrificed what they believed. But it was the wrong kind of sacrifice for the Christian. Wrong kind of sacrifice for the Christian. It wasn't within their God-given rights. And I'm not saying it wasn't within their God-given rights as if it, was, it wasn't within the Constitution. Because a lot of times when we use that word God-given rights, we are referring to the Constitution of the United States or something, right? So what I'm talking about, what I'm talking about is it wasn't within their boundaries of what God instructed his followers to do. They didn't have the right to behave like that. And so they sacrificed, but they sacrificed... Um, in vain. Like, it didn't really accomplish what they were really wanting it to accomplish. And it's not any kind of, anytime we do it outside of our God-given rights, it's not going to accomplish what we want it to accomplish. Um, God's not going to bless that. God's not going to multiply on that. He's not going to bless in our own lives or the people around us. But we can sacrifice within our boundaries. And again, we're going to talk about that next week, but but it just got me thinking about communion because the table represents change. That's what it represents. It changed the world. Jesus Christ literally changed the world. And I want you to think just for a moment about how he changed the world. Did he riot? Did he do anything they say, grab the sword. Peter grabbed the sword, but he told him to put it back, right? And he even put the ear back on after he cut the guy's ear off. But, but Jesus wouldn't ever allow that kind of thing. He didn't do that thing. He didn't retaliate. But, but he changed the world. It was a sacrifice that was unlike any other sacrifice that we ever talk about. It wasn't with force. It, wasn't, it was just with love and humility. I mean, think about this. This is, you, this is your Jesus, and this is how he did it, and this is how he's instructed us to do it. The road to Emmaus, I was just thinking about that, you know. Most people didn't see it. You know, like, this was happening, this, this silent sacrifice. Very humble sacrifice was happening. The people in the world, they, I mean, the disciples, and all, he had all these followers and people, you know, saying, I want to follow you, I'll do whatever, and stuff like this. But then when he... He just laid down his life, just humbly laid it down. They were dumbfounded. They were just like, you got to be kidding me. He just laid down and died? He just gave up? That's what they thought. And so their hopes were crushed because they were just not expecting that. They were expecting some kind of force of some sort. And I just want to read this scripture to you about these two guys that were walking away from not only the the crucifixion, but days after, just dumbfounded and depressed and stuff. And it says, the, the, very two, two, the, 
The very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all of the things that had happened. And while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him, and he said to them, What is your conversation, and what are you holding with each other as you walk? And and they stood still looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? I mean, you got to be kidding me. You don't know what's going on? They say to Jesus, and Jesus said to them, What things? And he said to them, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, the man who was a prophet, mighty indeed in word before God and all the people, and and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. And we had hoped, you see, I just didn't get it, did they? We had hoped that he was the one who redeemed Israel, but evidently not because he didn't revolt, he didn't do what we thought. Yes, and besides all of this, it is now the third day and since these things happened. Moreover, some women of the company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that he had uh, even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. So they got the report even of the resurrection, right? And they still were like, they didn't believe, you know. And some of them who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women said. So they even investigated. And they did not see. And, and he said to them, O oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all the prophets that have spoken. You're so slow to not. I mean, you're, you're failing the test here, guys. Didn't they tell you all about this in the Old Testament? It's happening before your eyes and you're still downcast. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scripture the things concerning him. Interesting to me that Jesus just gave them a big old lesson, better lesson than anybody could give, and they still are not understanding, right? In verse 28 it says, And so they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he was going further, but they urged him to strongly stay. Stay with us, for it is, it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread and he blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. Oh my goodness. You see, it wasn't until they were at the table with Jesus that their eyes were opened. You know, this should be an eye-opening experience for us every week that we come here. It should remind us that it is sacrifice that God changed the world. It is humility that God changed the world. It is not through revolt. It is not through anger. It's not through violence. It's not through... It was through giving of oneself that he changed the world. And he's still changing the world through people who will do the same. That will be true followers of him. And so when we come here and we are picking up this juice and this cracker and remembering that he changed the world through sacrifice and he's called us to do the same. And then when we go to our scripture like we went to, beloved, don't let it surprise you that you're going through a fire trial because God's just testing you. Because he needs, the reason he's testing you is because he's wanting you to mature. He's wanting you to become like Jesus. And the reason he needs you to be like Jesus is so that you'll show the world what Jesus is like. And so every time we partake of this, we should be humbling ourselves, walking out of this room, trying to find a way to sacrifice our rights and do it the way that Jesus would want us to do it. And it's through love and humility and giving of oneself. Let me pray. Father God, as we partake of this juice and this emblem, Father, that represents you, Help us, Father, to humble ourselves before you. Father, may you 
be pleased today as you have tested us and you have made it to where all of us were the ones who given the message because the audience for which we are given our message today is, a, is the audience of one. It is you. And so, Father, may you just encourage us to finish our message, to write down the things that we, the Holy Spirit is encouraging us to sacrifice today at your altar. Lead us, Father. But don't lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. We thank you so much. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.